0: Father, we thank you and, and and we thank you Lord, that you are God and that we're not we recognize lord that that we in in our our sin and our rebellion, Lord we have sought to replace you with ourselves we have thought that that we are the independent ones we thought that we are the the ones who uh know right and wrong that we are the ones who decide what truth is and yet lord we lord in, in, in that foolishness lord Lord we Lord, we're forsaking you, the fountain of living waters, and hewing out cisterns for ourselves, cisterns that hold no water. And so, for th- Father, thank you that you have opened our eyes. Thank you that you have opened our eyes to who you are, that you have, you have revealed yourself to us through your revelation. Lord, that we're no longer left to our own guesses of, of what truth is and of what, who you are, but, Lord, you have revealed yourself to us. You have sent your Son to die for us so that we can be reconciled to you. And Father, thank you that, that you not only saved us, Lord, but then you continue, Lord, to then give us the mind of Christ. You, you give us your word, Lord, that we would be able to know you more and more, that we'd be sanctified by your truth because your word is truth. So Father, we pray that you'd help us to do that this morning. Help us to think deeply and rightly about some difficult subjects that even divide uh, people who, who love you, Lord, to think what your word says and how we can practice them in a way that would proclaim your gospel. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we've been looking at this idea of the church and, and what is the church and what do we do in the church. And, and we've been looking at um, really the, the, what's the difference between a true church and a false church, right? That, and, 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 and we've also been looking at some distinctions within the true church. But we've looked at saying that things that... that um, that the pretty much all Protestant Christians have agreed on that makes up the, uh, a true church is the right preaching of God's word and, and the right practicing of the ordinances. Now, I'm not saying that up here that there's a true church and false church, but the idea that baptism and communion set out the people of God, that is the, the concept of the church. Now, within that, there are, there are within Christianity discussions amongst Christian brothers and sisters about some differences about this issue of baptism in particular. So that's what we started looking at last week. Um, I just realized this morning I didn't put the, the recording up, so I'm sorry if someone tried to, to get that. I'll get that, both of those up uh, to Gary today to put up. But we started looking at baptism um, as, as one of the two ordinances. And as I said, there's a difference between what I would say ordinances and sacraments. Not that, that People can use them the same way, but historically sacraments often are used of the Roman Catholic Church of how we receive grace. But baptism and communion is not a way of receiving grace, that we already have received grace in Christ, and we've responded to that by, by doing these things that Christ has ordained to set out his, apart his church in baptism and the Lord's Supper. We see that baptism is, comm- we saw that it was commanded, by the ch- uh, commanded for the church to baptize new believers Matthew 28. We see that it's, it's also commanded for believers to be baptized in, in Acts chapter 2. And then we started looking at some of these differences between Christians. And the, the, the easy one we looked at was the difference of how we should baptize, the difference between sprinkling or pouring water versus immersion in water. And as I said, the, the idea of that, that word baptizo, everyone agrees that it typically is used in this idea of immersing. But we also see that, we find that in, in the New Testament examples both groups pretty much agree that in the New Testament and in the early church, baptism was done by immersion. It, it just, everyone agrees. The question is, just because they did it that way, does it mean that we need to do it that way? Well, that brought us to our second issue we looked at last week, and that comes to the meaning of baptism. Is that, is that the way that we're baptized tied to the meaning? What is the meaning of baptism? Why does, what does that signify? What is the symbol of And we saw that in Romans 6, uh, that we saw that baptism is a symbol of being united with Christ. Baptism is, yes, it can be tied to our, our being washed from our sin, but primarily the idea is that we are united with Christ. It's a way of saying publicly, I'm with Jesus. As he died, was buried in the tomb, I have died to my old self. And as he rose again on the third day to new life, I've, ri- I've risen again to be a follower and a worshiper of Jesus Christ. I, I, I live this new life in Christ, which is the picture of immersion, right? That's why we, we, we say that immersion is not a, a optional. It's really the, the, the biblical way because that's what baptism signifies. We also talked last week about the difference between most Christian denominations who would say baptism does not save you. It is something that is a symbol, right? It's a symbol. It signifies being united with Christ, but the act of baptism actually doesn't save you and that's different with some people in the in other other branches of Christianity, particularly the Church of Christ, who would say that baptism is necessary to be saved because they see it so tied close with this idea of faith. And I, um, I had someone correct me, and he was right to correct me. I, I said brothers and sisters in the Church of Christ. I think there are brothers and sisters in the Church of Christ. I think there are some who have thought through this issue and thought biblically and, and thought in the gospel in mind, saying, yes, baptism is, is is really our way of expressing faith, but it's actually not the act of a work of baptism. They, they're very nuanced. But you also see some in the, within the Church of Christ saying, no, you know, you you just—it's not all free. You actually have to do this baptism thing, which I would say is a denial of the gospel. So that it depends on who you who you meet and and, and 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 which branch within some of that 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 thinking. But as we saw, that it's it's really that baptism is closely tied to faith. It is the first expression of our faith, but it is not the only expression of faith. Right as we saw that not only with the idea of the the thief on the cross, um, but but. Um, We also saw. Let me see where's my. But we also saw this idea of you know salvation by grace. That that there is nothing that we can do to earn or or work that. And that's the problem with the Galatian church, right? As they said, yes, you need Jesus and the grace that Jesus gives, and Jesus did everything to accomplish your salvation. But you also need some other things. And and Paul said that's a different gospel. And so that's that's uh, we looked at there. So that's a quick five minute review. Of, of last week's 45-minute uh, um, lesson. Um, before we move on, I want to talk about this issue of, in, you know, how different Christians practice infant baptism or believer's baptism, and just look at that a little bit this morning and then think through this issue and wrap it up with some considerations on baptism and how we should be thinking. But before we move on, are there any questions coming from, you know, last week and some of the stuff we talked about? Is that uh, it's been ruminating in your minds? Yeah. Yeah, there's there's it some de- Yeah, there's some debates um, there there are some debates among historians and scholars of where the practice and I'm getting to you, where where that practice of that immersion came from. Um, I think that the there the, the prop, predominant view, at least I remember by many is the idea that it came from um well, there's two different sources, I believe, I've remembered correctly. One is that as you, go, uh, to, as you go to the temple, there is, the, there is the, um, the mikvah or the baths that you can go into. And this idea was kind of a ceremonial washing and purification and that sort of aspect. Um, so some think that it kind of, John kind of developed it out of that, and that's what repentance signified. There's others that would look at um, certain Jewish writings that would say that, that when there was a Jewish um, conversion, so, if I wanted to become Jew, a Jew in in first century Israel or first century Greece, um, I couldn't ethnically become Jewish, right? I, I can't change that. But but Judaism was not only ethnic, but it was also um, it was also uh, 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 religious, right? And so there is some there is some documentation that would show that that, that there was this kind of um, baptism ceremony for identifying yourself with Yahweh. Um, that's come into question because more and more documentation shows that the actual thing that would bring conversion, what, what's the difference between in, in the um, New Testament of God-fearers and proselytes? right? Those who feared God, but they, they feared Yahweh, they worshiped Yahweh, but they're not fully Jewish yet. And then there are proselytes as well. The difference, what I've been reading is it seems not that baptism is the difference, it's Jewish baptism, it's, it's circumcision. There's some that were God-fearers, but we're not doing that yet, right? And then there's some that say, whatever Yahweh says, I'll, I'll do to become part of Israel. And that seemed to be more the boundary marker. So there's, there's a lot of debate in there. Um, so of what exactly the, the, Jew, the Jews practice? I mean, there's an understanding within John. John is saying that this is a baptism of repentance that is preparing for Christ. So, I would even say if you look that, that there's a difference even between John's, and we see that in Acts too, right? There's a difference between John's baptism and Christian baptism. Because when Paul, right, Paul met the, the Ephesians who had been baptized by John, he said that that's actually, that's preparing you. That's, you've not really been baptized. You've not really received the Spirit and you have to be uh, baptized again because that was not a, a true baptism being united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection because that hadn't happened yet. So we see that, that whatever it meant before, and even what John meant by it in, in some of his pictures of repentance and looking forward towards Christ, that after Christ's resurrection, that, that now that there needs to be a, a, a new baptism that identifies with that act of death, burial, and resurrection. Yeah, because they were saying, you know, they sent from the Pharisees that says, Well <coughs> you're not the Christ or the prophet, yes, then, why are you baptizing? Not, like, I don't course, know. But, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's some things uh, that's tied to authority and who has the authority to speak for God in these ways of who's clean and pure and stuff. But especially being outside the priesthood. But I, I, I don't know exactly. I'd have to I'd have to look more into that. So, yeah, Tony. Okay. Um, RC did a big. I, I saw on uh, England, Okay. On and he has a goes into what baptism means and all the different words that meant. That word. Okay. And it was interesting. I was just listening to it last week. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very cool. Well, let's move along, and let's talk about here this, who, who should be baptized, the subject of baptism. And this is what divides many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, where uh, if you have friends that are Christians in the Presbyterian tradition or the Lutheran tradition or Anglican, and out of Anglicanism came Methodism. Uh, by the way, pray for our Methodist brothers and sisters who made a bold stand for the scriptures this last week, and, and so we continue to be praying for them. Um, but, our, uh, but they would say that the people we should baptize are infants, our babies, right and then the those the baptistic tradition would say no that the people who should be baptized are people who have professed faith in Christ and and this is divided christianity in some ways not divided and there's different christianities but it is divided so it's saying we, we, we can love each other. We realize that it's, it's by grace alone that we're saved. And yet we, we, we practice worship together in different churches because of some fundamental differences about what the, how the church views this issue of baptism, and, which I think is, is understandable. I, I, I respect some of our brothers and sisters in these different traditions, and I, I think of R.C. Sproul for many years. I, I think of Legan Duncan um, and, and others. And, and that I, I, I really respect their... Um, their, their understanding of baptism. And, and I think they, they understand, they, they respect ours as well. And, 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 it's not that there's not a love there, but just saying it have a fundamentally different understanding of what the scripture teaches. And we want to be faithful to the scripture. So let's, let's look at this. I want to start with this position here. And this is the, our church's position. This is my position. Um, I think it's the strongest scriptural position is that the strongest scriptural position is that Christian baptism is exclusively meant for those who believe in Christ and follow him. That means that you are a believer, that you have, you have professed faith in Christ. You repented of your sins. You are a believer who is being baptized. I mean, in fact, t- turn back here. We mentioned it earlier to Matthew 28. So you look at the great commission and the commission of the church to baptize um, people. Verse 18 says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. That's the main verb there. Make disciples of all nations. How do we make disciples? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. So baptism is for who in this verse? For disciples. Right? We make disciples by baptizing them. It's not for everyone who might be a disciple. Right? Baptism is for those, it marks out who are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Our brothers and sisters in, 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 in these faiths, or not faiths, in these branches of Christianity, would say that those who are children that have been baptized, who have not yet professed, professed faith in Christ, are not saved. They're not saying just because we baptize them, they're saved and they're disciples. No, they still want their, their children to understand the gospel. They want to see their, their children understand and profess the gospel. They pray for their children in the same way we pray for our children, to, 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 for God to open their minds to the gospel. This good news that, 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 that God created us, but that we have sinned against God in our rebellion and sin. And yet, and, 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 and we've declared ourselves enemies against God, but God loved us and sent his son, Jesus Christ to die for us in our place as our substitute. So we can be, have our sins forgiven. So we can be reconciled to God and have this relationship with God. If, if we would repent of our sin and place our trust in Jesus Christ, that's, that's the same gospel we all profess. That's what unites Christianity. That's what Christianity is all about. This gospel of Christ and how we can be forgiven in Christ. And so it's not saying, well, oh, no, no bap- we saved them by baptism and now they're, they're, they're you know, disciples. No, they, that's not their belief. So, it's, and this is meant for disciples. So clearly we're talking about people who are older, who have professed faith in Christ, believers. We also can look, and we're not going to turn to all the verses this morning for sake of time, but I wrote them there. That As you look throughout Acts, that the, the only clearly recorded subjects of baptism in Acts are those who have repented and believed. The examples of baptism in Acts are of believers. Now, some of you that may know, you know, have grown up in some of these traditions or have friends may say, "Ah, what about household baptisms?" I'm going to get there. Let's stick a pin in there real quick. Uh, we're going to, I'm, I want to get back to that, but I would say right now, households. It can be argued both ways. It is an argument from silence that we'll look for. So when I say it's the only clearly recorded subject, named subjects, I know this guy, You know what, Cornelius, was baptized. The clear subjects we know are those who are believers. Are there, when it talks about households, are there others, they're unclear? We'll, we'll talk about that later. But the only clearly named and identified subjects are those who were already those who had believed. Uh, third argument here. Paul's letters demonstrate that those who have believed have been baptized and that those who have been baptized are believers. We dealt with that just earlier, Romans 6, right? That baptism means being united with Christ. That the whole symbolism of baptism is about identifying with Christ, about this is my faith that I have, It's, it's it, which, which an infant does not have that kind of understanding and that faith. So we see that that's the argument uh, for how Scripture presents that it's believers who are the ones to be baptized. Let, let me stop there. Any questions there before we, we move on? Questions, thoughts, comments? So yeah. The, the uh, people that believe the infant baptism. Yes. Once they become saved later, uh-huh. they get baptized again. No. Okay. But they no. Have a of faith. They have a profession of faith. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, they they have a profession of faith. Um. They would go through other processes, uh, confirmation, uh, confirmation, right? And, and some different things that they go through. Uh, but but no, no, they would not do baptism again. They would do baptism if someone was, um, at least the, the churches I know, if someone came to faith and was not baptized as an infant. So I came to faith and I, I, I trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was 18. I was not I did not grow up in any Christian tradition um, in those ways, at least being baptized as an infant. Um, and so if, if I had not been, if, you know, not being baptized that way, I would be then baptized then, but um, not if you were baptized would as an infant. I don't know. Sprinkled? Okay, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard it. Uh, I've got some good buddies that are longtime Presbyterians uh-huh. and intelligent. And yeah. They well, He's kind of explained it to me that it's... it's they look at it somewhat like uh, the extension of circumstances. Yeah, we'll get there in just a, a minute. Yeah, there, there are arguments on that. I, there's not foolish arguments, no. but but it, it's it's thinking it's thinking through. I think that – but I wanted to start – why do we hold to this position first? And then we'll, we'll look at that in just a second, Tom. Thanks. All right, let's look at that, where Tom was was pointing towards. Let's look at us, and there's two, I would say – I think there's right? I two there. Two main arguments why the, our brothers and sisters in, in some different traditions of Christianity would hold to infant baptisms. Two main arguments. The first one that Tom was mentioning is that they would say that, that baptism is the New Testament parallel to circumcision. right? Baptism is the New Testament parallel to circumcision. So let's think about circumcision in the Old Testament. Okay, Circumcision in the Old Testament for Israel was the outward sign... Of being saved? No. Right? Were, though, were there people who were part of Israel, circumcised with the outward sign of Israel, and yet not truly saved within Israel? Yes. Right? We read that throughout the whole Old Testament. And yet both those who would be followers of Yahweh and not followers of Yahweh, before they even made those choices, they grew, they were circumcised as infants, right? Whether they were followers of Yahweh, they were going to become followers of Yahweh or not. It It was a sign of being a part of the covenant community. These are children of the community. They're circumcised as a co- part of the covenant community. And I'm sure that godly parents, it was a hope that they would one day become faithful followers of Yahweh as part of that community. And, and, our, and, our, and our brothers and sisters who understand this would say that they would say, well, baptism is parallel to circumcision. It means that our children, whether they're followers of Jesus or not, or whether they become followers of Jesus or not, they're going to be part of our community. Right? They're part of our church. We, we hope that they're going to get saved, so why wouldn't we do the same thing that the Old Testament Israel did? Now, part of this comes, and I'm not going to go into there, part of this does come that most of these traditions, not all, but most of them also hold to some sort of more closely identified connection of the church and Israel. Not all of them, but uh, there's, a, there's a heavy emphasis in this position that the church has some of you would say some would say replaced Israel. Some would say is the new Israel. Um, so there's some different different ways of putting it in, but there's not a sharp distinction between the way that God worked with Israel and the way that God worked with the church. It's, it's called covenant theology. Um, and, and so that, that, that not all, but there is a, a, a closer connection there. Um, and so that, that when we look at the, they look at the church, that they see more, more tie-ins to Old Testament Israel instead of a distinction. Tony, hand. Women. Huh? Women were not circumcised. True. Yes, um, that's true. So, and and is that why they weren't allowed in the chambers of the temple, or I don't know. Um, we're but then we're under that family error, right? Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, 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 or. Um, I I think <laughs> I, I think that there is there is certain uh, I don't okay. let me think on that one. I've not heard that argument in in parallel. I mean, I, I think – yeah, because even, even though women weren't circumcised, there was an understanding even of daughters of Israel of they're part of the covenant community, right? That they're, they're part of the covenant community just by being born into a Jewish family, right, and going through those things. And so it, it – it, it, even though there was not the physical act of circumcision, there's still an understanding that, that what you – know, that there is this, this kind of – what it means to be part of the community is not being a follower of Yahweh – But being born into the people of God, does that make that make sense? Yeah, no, and I work with a she's non-practicing Jew. Okay, Um, and she makes the comment that you know, oh, we're Jewish because of our mother. So I mean, Uh she even knows that. Yeah, it's it's. The trait to yeah. the mother. Yep. But yeah, he- historically, and there's nothing biblical about that. It's just rabbinic teaching, uh, later rabbinic teaching, and, and, and there's some different speculations why. Is that it's through the mother's side? Um, so, for, for in, if I, remember, if I remember correctly, what I was told when I was in Israel is that uh, by the mother's side, so if your mother's mother is, is, was Jewish, then even no matter what other came in your father's side, that you're, you're considered Jewish for the rabbis. It, for the state, for the nation of Israel, it could be any grandparent one grandparent has to be be Jewish but for the rabbis i believe it it, it at least for the more traditional ones that um it, it, on the mother's side uh, mother's mother should should be it would be Jewish yeah and just on that our daughter became Jewish about 3 or 4 years ago and so she had to go have a mikvah which mm-hmm. was like a, a ba- no not a it was a, a like a baptism she had to be immersed in water mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, that's why I was saying that there's some, and the question is how how, how early did that start or how, yeah. it, because it, there is a practice today and there's, but there's some debate among scholars of was that a common practice in first century or not? And and because most of those writings, because there's nothing biblically and there's nothing in, I think, in the intertestamental writing, that there's some writing in in like the, the, I think in the Talmuds or things later, but those are those are later, those are centuries later, which could reflect certain teachings of the first century. We just don't know. So yeah, that's why there's different debates about where, where, where that started and when that started and how much John adapted from that and, and some of those things, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, this, so, um, so here's the problem. Turn to Romans 2. <clears throat> here's the problem with this idea of <clears throat> that the New Testament parallel to circumcision is baptism. Here's the problem of that. <clears throat> So if we re- as we read Romans 2, 29, and we'll look at Colossians 2, 11, and 12, we, we, we need to ask ourselves, what, what is, he's talking about circumcision, now he's moving into the new covenant, what it is true of us believers, what replaces circumcision? Okay, so let's read Romans 2, chapter 29. But it says, but a Jew is one inwardly, uh, let me see, let me back up, uh, for, uh, verse 28, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from from, from God. So what he's doing, he's pointing He's saying that the New Testament pointer, that what we're looking for in the New Testament that parallels this, this act of faithfulness, that you can see through circumcision, um, it was done faithfully, is, is, is an internal process. That we're not focused on the external process. That the, the parallel is an internal process. The act, is not the act of baptism, it's focusing on regeneration. So turn over then to Colossians 2, where he kind of expounds on this. Colossians 2, Verse 11 and 12, Colossians 2, 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised. So wait a minute. He's saying in Christ, we have been circumcised. So here's the parallel, right? So whether or not you've been circumcised at birth or not, whether you're male or female, you have been circumcised. I'm glad I don't have to do this as a high school group, right? Because then I have to answer all these questions. But, but it's, it's a, it says that whether you are, whatever you are, you are considered circumcised. What, because here's the New Testament parallel to circumcision. With a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the, hand, uh, by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism is an expression of this. But what Paul is paralleling, what Paul is saying that the, the New Testament picture, of, of, something has changed. That what has changed is that it's not the focus on the, that all of the, fam- everyone who is born in a Christian family is part of the church. He says it's not that way anymore. Right, that the church is those who have been regenerated. The church is those who have had the circumcision without hand, without made, made without hands done. The one that has the inward circumcision done. The, and that baptism is an expression of that, but baptism is not the direct parallel, that the New, te, New Testament circumcision is a spiritual circumcision that does save, that is making you part of the covenant community. That's the parallel that Paul is setting up here. Questions, thoughts, comments? Seems pretty clear to me. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and there's some practical outworkings, right? In the New Testament, whenever you look at the church, the church is always the regenerate people of God, right? It's never a mixed group. Israel was a mixed group. Israel was both saved and unsaved. The church is always those who have professed faith in Christ, right? And, and so we, we see those distinctions. We see that there are distinctions between the Old Testament people of God and the New Testament people of God. That the, the church has not removed Israel or replaced Israel. We've been grafted in, but there, there are differences. And you know what's interesting? Even covenant theologians who at one time were saying, yes, church and Israel, same thing. Are now starting to to, to say, well, there, there's some differences. Uh, one example is Albert Moeller. Uh, I, I you guys know I, I love Albert Moeller. He's talked about covenant theology before. And he, and he talks about, yes, there is a there are, are there are ways that God works with people from all times. Right? There is a consistency of how God works. Right? God is not different from from in these different dispensations, different eras, right? The way that God was with Adam is the way that God was with Israel is the way that God was with the church. It's not that Old Testament's angry God and New Testament's nice God, right? There are some consistencies. There are some ways that God is working in this plan that ultimately points to Christ. But even him as a covenant theologian would say, but there's different ways that God would then work that out. There's, there's the time of, of, of this era with Adam, and there's this time of, of, of with, with, you know, with Israel, and there's this time with, and I'm going, man, he sure sounds like a dispensationalist. And some of you guys don't know what that means, but some of you do. And, and what I mean is that, that there's some thinking that's closer together in those ways, um, and, and, and that there's a realization by even those who used to say, well, the church has just replaced Israel, they're realizing, no, that's not true. There are some differences between how God worked with Israel and how God worked with the church church, and how God promised to work with with Israel one day again. And so um, there's there's, there's not as much division on that way, which is more and more leading towards um, this understanding of baptism as well. So, um, all right, let's look at, yeah, we got got to keep going. All right, let's look at this idea of households, right? Here's the other thing. our, Our brothers and sisters in these denominations would say, but look, the whole household got baptized. That, that that probably includes children too, right? Well, let's let's look at some examples. Let's let's think about this. Because really, if you think about it, that I, just the word household is not determinative. How many of your households right now have young children in them? A couple, right? How many of your households right now do not have young children in them? It can go either way, right? That word household does not necessarily mean young children. Could it mean young children? Yes, it could. Could it not mean young children? Yes, it could. It's an argument from silence either way, right? So let's take a look at the evidence in Scripture here. Turn to Acts chapter 16. Let's look at one of these examples of household baptisms. Acts chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 32 through 34. 32 through 34 and the, the baptism of the, the Philippian jailer. Verse 32 says, and they spoke with the word of the... Well, yeah. Uh, the, well, let's back up. He said, Uh, sir, is what I must I do to be saved. And he says, be, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, the household. And he and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. So what does that mean, all his family? Okay? And he brought them up to his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So there's a reference not just to the household believing, but also in verse 34 to the household what? Rejoicing. And rejoicing for an understood reason because of this faith that he experienced. So that, the, again, there's implications. This is not direct, but there's implications here that if the whole household could rejoice and understand what had happened in order to rejoice because of he believed in God, that's talking about something different than infants, right? The infant's not going to join in the rejoicing. So either it's, it's a generic term that doesn't include the infants or, you know, it's, 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 um, or it's, it's talking about older people in the household. Look, look at one more example. Turn to First Corinthians one. Oh yes. I have a question on my version and the NIV. It says mm-hmm. the jailer brought them into his house. Why does he use the word jailer? Uh, it's probably what he's doing is that because there's so many pronouns there, it's referring back to this is who we're talking about. I don't. I have to look. I'd have to look at the the Greek on that. No, that's fine. But but it's pro, you know whether it's a pronoun. It's, it, it's all that he is pointing back to the the subject all the way back okay. there. And so the oh, wow. NIV maybe may like may helping just kind of keeping track of where the story's going and what's okay. going on. Yeah. Because if you look, the, oh, he 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 he. There's all these he's before that, um, and so yeah, so it's all the way back in 27. when you have to get the subject, so okay. it's probably the translator's just trying to help you out, following the story along, which is which is a good help. The okay. okay. so is accurate. It is the jailer who's who yeah. the one brought them into his house. And yeah, Paul and Silas in prison. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Okay. Um, let's look at Colosh, or 1 or First Corinthians. I'm sorry, First Corinthians one, verse sixteen. And here we see another example here where he says, verse 16, I did not baptize, I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I did not know whether I baptized anyone else. So Paul, when he was in Corinth, baptized this household. Well, what do we know about this household? Well, it's not the last time he mentions this household. Look over at, at 1 Corinthians sixteen fifteen, the end of the book. And he's going to get back to the household of Stephanus. 16.15 says, Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of stephanus that's house—that's the household he baptized, were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. What does Paul say here about those in this household? They were what? Believe converts. Believers. Right? But he doesn't say he doesn't say After when. That, that's true. That. That's true. I mean, we're looking at 1 Corinthians. It's probably a fairly early letter. I mean, it's, it's just hard to say, right? But it, it I've is the... My, I've had yeah, it is. Yeah, I would not say that this is a definite argument, right? I would say that I think that there are, are inclinations and implications that it really does seem that, that these are people who either... He means household, that is generalities, right? That, that, that those who could believe did believe. Um, And, and, you know, we're baptized or he's talking about households with older people. But I would say this would not be my main argument. My main argument would be saying we can't can't prove either. If we can't prove either, that should not be one of our major planks. And if that's one of your two major planks and saying, you know, they say, well, yeah, they did baptize by immersion. And yes, Paul does say it identifies with us, Christ. And yes, it doesn't save them. But baptism is a picture of salvation. But you know, it it just there's much more evidence. I'm just you know, yeah, I say, yeah. I say it's definitely not the strongest there. Yeah. And then, in addition with that, I put some other verses on there. If you look at, we won't look at there, but Acts four and Acts eleven uses that household language and never mentions baptism, but talks about the whole household believed. Right. So we're looking that it, it, there is this connection with with that. Um, that the best evidence is is this for believers' baptism. That what it means. What does it mean? To, to be baptized, it means that it, when we are saved by the grace of God, that we profess that publicly as a symbol of what Christ has done by, by being baptized as a believer. And as I said, EFCA is a, is, is a eh, either way it doesn't matter to us, which is kind of funny, but that's, that's their take. And so they've got churches of both ways. They support missionaries that plant both types of churches. It's, it's kind of a, a, a you know middle-of-the-road kind of funny funny thing. And so... Um. Let me, I want to I get to these here and then if there's time, we'll do some more questions. But I want to look at these just for us. What do we take away from this? You know, history, theology, you know, which is important, but let's say, what does that mean? What does that mean for me and for you and the people we disciple and people that we lead to the Lord? How does that affect our thinking about baptism? Two common mistakes. Two common mistakes regarding baptism. I, I don't think I wrote what the mistakes are, but they're very easy. First mistake some people take baptism too seriously. Don't take baptism too seriously. It is possible to take baptism too seriously. Some people would say, baptism, if you are not baptized, you are not saved. That's taking it way too seriously. Dangerously too seriously, I would say. There's also, um, I think it's dangerous to say, it is always a sin not to be baptized. It, it, there are exceptions. I would say that there are a lot of instances which we'll look at that is disobedience to, be, to not be baptized, but there are exceptions to that. There are exceptions that just because Christ has commanded that, he doesn't necessarily say that it has to be done right now. Right? So it's, it's not, a, there are exceptions, um, you know, so for instance, that there are exceptions of sometimes if there isn't water, Right? you know, for baptism to be done or, 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 you know, and our church has asked people to wait a couple months until we have the next baptism. That's not a sin. You're not disobeying the Lord when there's, there's some of those considerations. I think of our brothers and sisters in the persecuted churches who struggle where to have baptisms because if they all show up at a baptism at the lake, they're all going to get arrested. Right? So there's some, there's some very, they, they have to, they have to be th- thoughtful and wait and think through some of those things there. Um, they also, in our churches and our brothers and sisters there and, in, in other, uh, especially in persecuted church countries, they'll wait on baptism until they see fruit of repentance. Um, because, you know, and, and, and really seeing that through. And I would say that we can, we, you know, that I think that it's also wise to do that here. But not necessarily because of, of, of the persecution that, that's around, but I would say with young children. I'd say with very young children, we want to be careful that we're not practicing a semi-pseudo-infant baptism by, by baptizing you know, children just because they parrot some words that I told them to say. Now, l- listen, we, it is possible for children to the youngest age to believe. We, we understand that and we know that. But it is very difficult for us to determine what's my son saying and thinking, and what is I want daddy to be happy with me, and so I'm gonna. You know, it's so hard. It's so very hard. And being a youth pastor for so long, and seeing us us affirm these professions, and and then seeing you know things that from the George Barna survey, which you know, and and, and so many mass actions from the church, some come back and show that they're saved, and some just don't. And so we just want to be... I think there's wisdom. Um, I think there's caution of, of when to baptize young children, I mean, really young children, and thinking through of did they really understand what they're saying, right? Are they, are they just saying what I want them to say, or do they really believe this themselves? They might, they might not. I just... They can, it's just very hard for us as parents and as youth workers and children's workers to tell. And so I, I don't think there's a magic age when you can tell that. I don't. I've talked to some several parents about this and I think it depends. I think there's wisdom. I think there's a lot of wisdom of discussion between parents and their children and 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 where things are at. I think there's some children especially that have, have wrestled with through crises of faith early on and through different providential things in life. I think that things can be exposed. I think sometimes children have things so easy that they never really, you know, re, you know, never face any trial, never face any temptation, never face anything that's going to see if they are which, which type of of seed they are Planted right as Jesus' parable uh, until later on. So I think that takes a lot of wisdom. Um, I think also when we recognize what baptism is, and we'll talk about later, that baptism is also so closely tied to to um, both to two things: to one, to membership of the church. That almost every example in the the New Testament is when you were baptized, then you joined the church, which meant then you could also be church disciplined by the church. That, that, that when we think about that, of saying, well, really, that there's to, to keep them under the parental authority and, and teaching and those you know, longer instead of, of going to, to the church authority, is, is I think there's some wisdom there as well. So I think there's a lot of wisdom considerations. And if, if there are children who have said, your parents have asked that we want to wait longer, it is not a sin for them to have not been baptized. It's also people take to baptism too seriously when they say, I'm not good enough yet to be baptized. Right, I, I hear that from people all the time. Ah, I, I got to get this better in my life, then I'll get baptized. But but that's that's not that's not the case either. It's simply an act of obedience, and a public public s- symbol of your identity with Jesus Christ. Um, and then the last thing, and then is some people take baptism too lightly. So it's possible to take baptism too seriously. It's also possible to take baptism too lightly. There's some people who just refuse to get baptized. There's some people that just don't have good reasons to wait. Maybe it's they're lazy or they're prideful or they're embarrassed. That I should have been baptized already and I'm not. So now what do I do? I don't want to go say I've never been baptized. And so and, and, and that's taking baptism too lightly is that Christ has called us to do this. Um, here's another way to take baptism too lightly. That it is taking baptism too lightly if you take communion without having been baptized. <laughs> baptism is the sign of the entry into the family of God. <laughs> communion is the family meal. Right? So baptism. Now, I would say, you know, in in baptism is the first act that you're called to do in obedience to Christ, and communion is the family meal. And and so that baptism is supposed to take place before communion. Baptism, then communion. Um, Then the third way to take baptism too lightly is some people disconnect baptism with the local church. Just because you get wet does not mean you are baptized. Baptism is a proclamation of the true gospel. Well I, I I have the true gospel. I you know, I think I have the true gospel and this is what I read the Bible and this is what I think it means and so that's the true gospel. Well as we looked through Matthew, Matthew 16 says that Peter had the authority to say, "Yes, you you I'm going to build my rock on this or build my church on this rock, on this gospel." Then Matthew 18 that is the church who has recognized that those who are believing that gospel are not, as we see in Matthew 18. Then Matthew 28 is the church who is then called to go and make disciples of that true gospel. It's not just someone who's saying, yes, I believed in the Jesus I came up with, and so I baptized myself. Well, it's, it's, it's being baptized by a gospel-believing church. Right? We, that's how we started this whole thing. Just because you were baptized does not mean it was biblical baptism. Right? If it was not you know, Lee and Kathy were baptized, but not in a church that professed the gospel. And so in the same way that that, that, that it should be done by a gospel church. So those are those are ways of, of mistakes of baptism taking it too seriously too lightly. Got just a couple minutes in questions, thoughts, comments as we wrap up our time? I got a question. Yeah. So with the Presbyterian. Yeah. On oh, we do it. Yeah. Would we would. But if they don't want to, do you think that It is a um it is a requirement for membership to have been baptized as a believer. So even though they hold that little position. Even though they hold because of our distinct church. And, oh, and okay. our, so that's a part yeah. of Yeah, because we are a free church who is associated with them. And so yeah. Yeah, so we would require that for membership in our church. You're free to come. You're free to worship. You're, we believe that you're a brother or sister in Christ. But to become a member of our church, we would understand that members are those who are, are baptized believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so that, that would be our take. So we love them as a Christian brother or sister. They're welcome to come and attend. And I'll be honest. There's, there's, I think there's even there's a possibility that there's a couple that may not have been clear on that and are members currently. But, um, but, but, but our, our 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 policy and the way that we said, if this is what the Bible teaches of what a believer. Is and does. I mean, we, we had one last year saying not not that it was baptized before, but someone wanted to become a member and they just never been baptized. We said, "Great, want to be a member? We got to get you baptized." And and uh, because that's what that is, uh, we understand is obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ, and so and that comes before communion, that comes before membership. The, uh, these 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 pictures of the family of God is entry into the family is that picture a symbol of that through baptism? So yeah. Uh, there, are some di- there are some differences on that. Um, uh, I know Piper's Church has been wrestling through that. There's a great book, if you want to read on that subject, called Going Public. It's by Bobby Jameson. Uh, it's a little bit thicker, but it talks about thinking biblically and biblical theology through baptism and communion and membership in the church and thinking through some of those issues. And he's, he's very humble and he's, he interacts with some different arguments, but I think he presents a really good case for that? Yeah. And yeah. started re Yeah. and the issues that they were dealing with that, Yeah. Know, and yeah. The issues people's feelings on that. Yeah. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's 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 you know and, and I've heard Lincoln Duncan say that you know if he was you convinced that that he would do you know that there's there's a, I think there's a mutual respect, mm-hmm. you know, in that way in, in the same way uh, I'd understand that you know that if I, if I went to a Presbyterian church, the expectation was that I'd baptize my children you know there's an understanding of and, and, a, and a respect for for the different positions but there's some, there's uh, still disagreement and, and how and that 's why you know what, what, what you know that's why it's it, it's it's not a gospel issue but it's a church distinctive issue a church kind of has to decide on that one way or another so yeah all right, let me pray for us Father, we just thank you for today and we thank you for your goodness We thank you that all the talk about baptism Lord, we can forget of, of of the heart of it what it means is that We're united with your son. Father, we're united with your son in his death and and the forgiveness of our sins. We're united in him, in his life, and the new life that we are new creations in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. So we glory in that now, in Jesus' name, amen.